title for the message for this evening is don't believe what the skeptics say about how the Bible came to be. You see such popular books as Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code and other things came out that mentioned that there were hidden books of the Bible. I have a book here called The Lost Books of the Bible, all the hidden books here. I, I have that book here and I read about half of them already. And uh, I have full faith and confidence in our holy scriptures and not these lost gospel. And why is that the case? Well, we're going to explore some of that. When I was in the eighth grade, uh, we were actually made in PE class to climb a rope to near the top of the gymnasium. At the top, there'd be like a little metal pan. You climb up there and you would tap it when you made it. And how well you climb and how high and how fast depend on many things. Some were too afraid and just never went up there. Some did it very, very slowly. Now I had a problem. I was afraid of dying and I was afraid of height. And I was especially afraid of dying from the fall of height. So this was doubly scary to me. But I actually did it. I made it all the way to the top and touched a metal pan because I followed the instructions. I follow a reasonable guide who gave me and taught us how to do it. It depends on how well you're anchored. If you're anchored like this here, you can actually uh, stabilize yourself and I could let go of one arm and look around, look to the left and look to the right. And I felt very stable as long as I kept this formation. And I would creep myself up. But as I got higher, it got so scary looking down because I'm afraid of heights. But the important thing is the teacher says, keep looking up and don't look down. Keep looking up and don't look down. And when I went down, I did the same thing. I kept going slowly, slowly down, but keeping my eyes looking up. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And that anchor is in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Holy Bible. Question I would like to ask of you is, what anchors you? In your life, what do you lean upon? Is it your husband or wife that you lean upon? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it power? What is it that anchors you that gives you stability? Maybe that house of yours, you feel so stable. Ask people in Louisiana how they feel about their homes. The book of Psalm 71 verse five uh, mentions, for you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth. The word see for hope here comes from the word tikva, sometimes spelled T-I-K-V-A-H. For thou art my tikva, Adonai Hashim, thou art my trust for my youth. Thou art my tikva, Lord, blessed be his name. In Tehillim 71 verse 5, the book of Psalms. And I'm going to share with you uh, a story of tikva concerning Rahab and how it ties into the uh, canon of the new scriptures. There's a story about a harlot who became a woman of faith. The story goes that as uh, Moses, they cross over to the promised land, he spied over on the other side, 
and Moses was not allowed to actually go, but he empowered see Joshua to become the next leader. And Joshua saw this city that looked from afar to be very fortified. So he sent two spies to uh, check out this area of Canaanites that worshiped the moon to see how well fortified the city's defenses were. So these two uh, spies went there, but they were spotted. So they ran and hid in the house of Rahab, a prostitute. So she decided to hide them. We might ask why. She covered them up. Then when the guards came looking for the Israeli spies, Rahab told them the spies had left and redirected them. Says, if you hurry up, you might be able to catch them. So they all went and seen the opposite direction looking for uh, see, um, the spies. After the guards had left, the spies asked Rahab, why did you help us? She explained how she heard about the exploits of the Israelites. How, uh, see, they had defeated all of the uh, other cultures that worship idols and statues. And she concluded that their God must be the true God. And the scriptures read here. So the men said to her, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you bring your fathers, your mothers, your brothers, and all your father's household to your home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be blameless. Then she said, so be it, as you said. She sent him away, and then she bound the scarlet cord in the window. That word, cord, is the Hebrew word, Tigva. The word Tigva means hope, but not a blind hope, not a vain hope, but a hope that's built upon a rope, a woven cord that's strong and firm, like the rope that I climbed up when I was in the eighth grade. If that rope was flimsy, I would be scared to think, gosh, get it, hold my weight. But as it was, it was a firm, thick rope that when I feel it, I could tell it was firm. And that's what the Bible is, something firm for us here. So the two spies grabbed see the tigva and they climbed down the wall. And they report their findings to Joshua and what Rahab had done for them. Then later on, the Jews attack and destroy the city, but spare the house of the red hanging tigva. And later on, archaeologists, first of all, skeptics said that the story of Jericho is baloney, it's fairy tale, it never existed. Then lo and behold, archaeologists dug and they discovered the city of, of Jericho. And the Bible said that the walls of the city were destroyed except the wall of the house of Rahab because her house adjoined the wall. When they looked at the ruins, they found the wall destroyed, but they found one wall standing, the north wall, and it had one house attached to it still standing. So scholars believe that might have been the house of Rahab because uh, Rahab was instructed, if you uh, hang this red cord, when the uh, Israeli come to destroy the city, when they see the red cord, they're told, do not harm that house or anyone in that house. 
And they found that city destroyed just the way the Bible said. The, city, the outer walls fell out and the inside wall and cities were burned. They found the, the bricks and the inside walls scorched. But the bricks and outside walls, since it fell, it was not scorched. Just like the Bible said. Our table of faith is found in this Holy Bible. But how do we know that this Bible is really the Bible? So people talk about the canon. And some people say the Bible wasn't canonized until the 4th or 5th century. Is this really true? Well, the word canon comes from the Greek word and a Hebrew word meaning read, which is used as a measuring stick. It can refer to those things that have been measured correctly. And according to Lightfoot, a New Testament scholar of international repute, the biblical canon refers to the books divinely inspired and preserved for purpose. So what is the canon? And why does it matter? Well, canonization is the means by which we determine what are officially the God-breathed scripture. Only the canonized book can be used with full faith, full confidence as the authoritative word of God. While many other writings like the Apocrypha and others which are not inspired may elaborate on certain historical uh, or opinionated see, uh, views at the time, they don't have the full weight authority of scriptures like the inspired canon. In other words, they lack the stamp of approval, but that which is canonized has the stamp of approval. The scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17, but you should continue following the teachings you learn. You know it is true because you know who taught you and you trust that person. You have known the Holy Scriptures what Paul wrote to Timothy since you were a child. These scriptures are able to make you wise and that wisdom leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, all scripture, all scripture is given by God and is useful for teaching and showing what is wrong and what is right and how to live. And using the Bible, those who serve God will be prepared and will have everything they need to do every good work, the scripture said. All scripture is given by God, but how do we know what's it, what's in the scriptures? Well, as such, the canonized uh, scripture reveal how one to live and how to worship God in spirit and truth. There are a lot of people who worship God, but they're not worshiping in spirit, or they're not worshiping in truth, or both. But when the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he explained the divine authority and how to use the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the Bible has God's stamp of approval. The Bible, see, is a lamp. It helps guide our step. Psalms 119 verse 105. It's like a lamp that guides my step, a light that shows the path I should take. The Bible is the only reliable source in dealing with matters of faith and practice. So what can we learn from the life of Rahab? Well, there are a lot of important lessons we can learn. One is that it doesn't matter if you've been a, a bad person, so-called. 
you can still change and become a better person or even a holy person. Doesn't matter how bad you have been. You then look at Jeffrey Dahmer, the mass murderer, uh, Church of Christ uh, chaplains at the prison taught him and before he died, he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and repented of his sins and is sorrowfully did so. Then shortly thereafter, he was murdered in jail. But even a hardened criminal like Jeffrey Dahmer can come to the Lord. Then they should give us hope that no matter how bad we think we are or how undeserving we are, the Lord is there with open arms to accept us if we turn to him. But we have to be able to discern what is firm and what are flimsy teaching. What is truly a solid rope and what is a rope that might not be able to bear our weight? You must trust and follow God-given instructions. If the teacher uh, taught me how to climb the rope and if I didn't follow it, but try to use brute strength to raise myself up and to just use my uh, feet to use friction to hold a rope but not anchored correctly, uh, I doubt if I could have gotten very high. When we look at some, see, popular drawings, paintings, and things about Rahab, uh, we can see that she was probably like a brunette or a light brown hair and yet light or bluish eyes. Yeah, what a very attractive person here. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, then how comes others' drawings portray her as having red hair? Oh, hmm. And there are other ones that show that she has black hair and brown eyes. All these are portrayals of Rahab. Huh. Well, it, it, it couldn't be because they dyed their hair because I, I looked this up. I found out that, see, uh, a chemist developed the idea of dyeing your hair different colors. I mean, people dye their hair, when your hair is getting white to dye, from, uh, if you're black hair and it's getting white, back to black, but to change the hair color, like from black to red or red to uh, brown, that didn't exist until uh, about, see, early part of mid part of the 20th century. So they couldn't have been changing it. So there's something wrong here. She can't be black hair, uh, brunette, and see uh, redhead. What it teaches us is that we should not trust what we read in magazines and news and drawings and paintings. Like here's one about Rahab, and he showed a red scarf. <laughs> well, I, can you think that can hold uh, Jewish spies and men to climb down. But yet you have some portrayals of the red cord as a scarf. This is a false hope. It is a false tigva. Tigva in Hebrew means hope, a sure hope. It means a solid rope, not a red scarf or any color scarf. So the problem with trusting or adoring images like we saw of Rahab in the past is there's a problem. Get this now. In most cases, we don't know what they really look like. All right. 
Uh, I looked it up and said practically all the famous painters, Rembrandt and sculptors of religious art prior to the 18th century, before they invented photography, they usually portray themselves. They paint their own face, where a, 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 paint, a picture of them when they were younger or otherwise, or a family member or friends, or someone they hired from off the street to be models for Bible characters. Or they just paint some any Eastern European Jew and say, that was a Bible character. In fact, at the Getty Museum, they had an exhibit that ran for several months. And in it, they had this saying on their website. In contrast to modern of portraiture, which strives to capture accurate likeness, medieval artists did not seek to reproduce the precise facial features. In other words, some people, when you're uh, maybe bowing down or worshiping or kissing a picture or a statue that you think is of a, a saint, surprise, it was actually my uncle Gino. If that could be, the, if you could imagine that. In fact, the overwhelming majority of statues made of personalities from classical Greece and Roman were actually made from the time of the Renaissance to modern times. For example, here's another one here. Here is a, a painting of Saint Blase. The problem with this is that we have absolutely no written description, written record, or any paintings or drawing contemporaneous, even near within centuries of the time he lived. Nobody know how Saint Blase looked like. But it didn't matter because medieval painters concentrate on portraying uh, things that would inspire devotion, a, a solemn face, a devoted feature, a forceful gaze, psychological intensity. But we should not imagine that that is how St. Blase looked like. Okay. So when we say that the Bible is written by God, we don't mean that God gave it directly handed it down to us from heaven, then how do we know what really should be in the New Testament or the Bible? We talked about the uh, Old Testament last Saturday for a, a group who had an interest in this subject here. Then we look at such things like the Da Vinci Code or see the lost book of the Bible and forgotten books of Eden, which is a book I have. And they, they try to market the idea that there are hidden books that are suppressed by church authority. So we say, oh, wow, the, how can we trust the Bible? The Bible is just a, shows the politics of the time. But we have to understand, acceptance, usage, and trust did not await canonization. Moses finished the Torah, the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, before he died, roughly around the 13th century BC, approximately. Uh, scholars believe that the canon of the Tanakh, the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible, wasn't canonized uh, until sometime during the Babylonian captivity. Some says it may have been as late as the 4th century uh, BC, which is why the Apocrypha, which all of it were written in the first century or second or third century uh, BC, were not part of a, a Hebrew Bible. But if this is the case, you see, it took eight centuries to canonize. But 
That doesn't mean it didn't become official until eight centuries later after the death of Moses, because the people accepted Moses' writing even while he was still alive uh, eight to 900 years earlier. The people accepted the writings of Moses as canonized before it was officially canonized. Okay. We have to understand it takes a long time to canonize simply because according to one of the uh, foremost scholars on canonization of Holy Scripture, Dr. Ernest Martin, in a book he wrote, Restoring the Original Bible, it says that, well, it took a long time to travel from point A to point B, to retrieve and make copies, to circulate and to communicate. It's not like today where to show that uh, this is really my writing, I just fax a copy of my signature. No, they had to do everything by donkey, a horse, or by, by uh, walking. So the developmental stage of the New Testament is broken down to five. The apostolic age, the age of the apostles, the apostolic fathers, the disciples of the uh, apostles, Martian's canon, a heretic, the moratorian canon, the first official attempt to form in a canon, and then the so-called final canon, which they uh, some claim to have been what produced the Bible, which I totally disagree. Okay, all right. Let's look at this here. First stage was when the New Testament was written. It was roughly at this time between 45 and 90 AD. Uh, the Bible was accepted by the Christians during the time of the apostle, during this time. It didn't wait till the fourth or fifth century. If people want to know, Peter, did you actually write this? Peter's just say, yes, I wrote that. When he asked the apostle John, did you really write this? The apostle John said, yes, that's my writing. It didn't wait till 500 years later before it was accepted. All right, and John, the last of the apostles, died around 101 uh, AD. And we know this here, that the early church start collecting the sacred writings. In Colossians 4, 16, now when this epistle is read among, see that is read also in the church of the Laodicea, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, that I wrote to you and then I wrote to the other, and see to it that the other churches read to it. All right. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, because it has a stamp of approval of the apostle, this makes us more sure about what the prophet said. Jumping down to verse 20. Most important of all, you must understand this. No prophecy in the scripture comes from the prophet's own understanding. It's not like, oh, gosh, should I put that in or not? Now I'm going to change it. Verse 21, no prophecy ever came for what some person wanted to say, but people were led by the Holy Spirit and spoke words from God. They were inspired by God himself. And then later in the middle of the period, there's the Gnostic Gospels written, number three here. These were a group of people who believed in Jesus Christ, but they rejected the Old Testament. They said that Jesus is the good God. The God of the Old Testament was the uh, demigod. All right, he was like half God, half man, but he was a wicked God. And that uh, flesh is evil, 
and spirit is good. Therefore, Jesus, when he came, he only came in the spirit so that you thought you were looking at a real person, but actually you're looking at a ghost. He was a heretic. But it's interesting, he wrote, uh, a, a Martian compiled a list of scriptures, which he thought was good and rejected others. But by rejecting us, we know which ones were part of the official scriptures. Okay. The moratorium, the canon, lists all the books of the New Testament as we have it, except four. Why? It takes time. Uh, maybe um, a few years later, they would have gathered all 27, but they didn't gather all 27, and some may not have been written yet, like the book of Revelation or the writings of John in the uh, later stages of the first century. And Irenaeus also cites all but four of the New Testament books. Understand this, these were accepted during the time of the apostles. Okay, the early church leader accepted apostles' writings as scriptures. Clement of Rome referred to Matthew, Luke, Romans, Corinthians, Hebrews, 1 Timothy, 1 Peter. Polycarp, a direct disciple of John. Papias, also a direct disciple of the apostle John. They quote from the canonical scriptures. Ignatius also did likewise. Okay. Also, Tatian, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Origen, all many of these others as well. But then a fellow by the name Martian, I referred to him earlier, a heretic, a Gnostic. He was the first one to compile a list. And he says, I don't accept these other lists. That means the other one he don't accept were the ones that the churches accepted. So we could, by inference, know what was in part of the original scriptures. What he did, he took only portions of Luke. He took a, a figuratively see, uh, speaking, a scissor and cut out the passages he didn't like that seemed to talk about the manhood, the humanity of Christ, because he thought of Christ as being all spirit and no humanity at all. Uh, Clement of Alexandria, Bruce Metzger, a renowned uh, New Testament scholar, wrote, one finds in Clement's work references to all the books of the New Testament, with the exception of Philemon, James, 2 Peter, and 2 and 3 John. The Moratorian Canon, dated 170, included all four Gospels, the book of Acts, 13 Apostle letters, all see letters of John, the book of Jude, and the book of Revelation. As we noticed, the later writings contain more because they had gave more time to circulate. Saint Augustine, one of the leaders of the organized church of the fourth and fifth centuries, he wrote that the New Testament canon came into existence during the first century. We're not talking, now he lived during the, uh, the fourth and fifth century, but he said, no, no, uh, we didn't make the New Testament in the fourth or fifth century. It was not any council. He said it existed in the time of the apostles. All right, the books of the New Testament here and the council. What did the council do then? All right. The earliest uh, uh, list of all the books of the New Testament is what we find in the year 367. Now, extant list means surviving. 
we should mean there could have been earlier lists, but the only surviving list that we discovered in archaeology was in 367 by Bishop Athanasius in his Easter. He listed all 27 books of the New Testament. 397, the Council of Carthage reproduced the same list, 27 books, and said, apart from the canonical scripture, nothing is to be read in church under the name of scripture. Let the church across the sea, which means churches elsewhere, be consulted to confirm that this is, in fact, the canon. All right. A 19th century German scholar concluded the canonization of the New Testament was set by the end of the first century. Professor Harry Gamble, University of Virginia, professor of religion, wrote that his massive, comprehensive, intensive study of the history of canon argued there was already a canon of Christian scripture by the end of the first century. Okay. The truth is, when this is from the book of ecclesiastical history by Eusebius, the greatest early church historian, page 295, this book, which I have, quote, the truth is when the early church fathers began to talk about the canon of the New Testament near the end of the second century, it is assumed that it was already in their midst. The first recorded discussion among the early church leaders and scholars about the canon wasn't talking about which should belong in the canon. They were just arguing about which books in the canon were of more greater value. Uh, which were of lesser rank, probably because if we're going to send missionaries and we had limited resources, which books should we send them with? So which is more important? Well, of course, obviously, uh, uh, the Gospels are more important than the book of Jude or Philemon. But that doesn't mean that Philemon or see, Jude is not part of the scriptures. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, the New Testament document, R.D. Reliable, oops, um, New Testament scholar. One must be, in, uh, in this one thing must be emphatically stated. The New Testament did not become authoritative for the church because they were formally included in a canonical list. On the contrary, the church included them in the canon because it already regarded them as divinely inspired, recognizing their innate worth and general apostolic authority, direct or indirect. The first ecclesiastical council to classify the canonical book, okay, what they did, they did not impose anything new upon what the Christian community already had practiced and accepted and believed. So what anchors you? Well, we know from the study of the, the canonization process, that the four gospel, Acts, Hebrew, Paul's letters, 1 John, 1 Peter, Revelation, were held from the very, very beginning. Widely accepted and later adopted in the canon was James, Jude, 2 Peter, and 2 and 3 John. But if you look at those names, aside from John, I mean, aside from James, Jude, 2 and, uh, Peter, and 2 and 3 John were all later writings. So it didn't, may not have had time to circulate uh, among the churches in the Roman Empire at the time. All right. The apostles and see, and the prophets, they canonized their own writing. 
when the prophets and the apostles, they perform miracles to test that they had authority from God. When they wrote things, they added them to the existing canon. Alright. Here we can read here that when Moses wrote the book of the law, he commanded it in Deuteronomy that it be read before all the people every seven years. So the five books had to be read from, from the first to the last of the five books, complete in a seven-year cycle to all the people that had the assembly together. They were already recognized. It was canonized. It didn't wait till the Council of Jamnia or until the 4th century BC or the 5th or 6th century BC. It was already canonized in the lifetime of Moses. And after Moses died, he uh, spoke to God, spoke to Joshua and referred to a book of the law of Moses. It was canonized by God who spoke his approval himself. And later on, when Joshua wrote, he wrote down and he added it to the book of the law of God, the Old Testament. And Paul asked Timothy, when you come visit me in prison, bring the scriptures, bring the scripture, bring the parchments, bring the writings. There are two ways of seeing things. We could either see things through a man's perspective, looking for flaws. Oh, gee, why did it take uh, 600 years, 800 years, or 900 years for uh, the canon of the Old Testament to be put together? Why did the New Testament take uh, three, 400 years? Was it because they were debating about it? Because they didn't know what belonged? Because they were trying to filter out the lost Bibles to make sure that they're politically correct? But instead, we had to look things from God's perspective, looking down, not from looking up. These are the principles that guided the early church. All right. The Bible was considered uh, a part of it if it was written by an apostle. If the, if the apostle Peter said, hey, God told me to write this. People didn't question it. Or by, uh, see, uh, Peter's uh, secretary. Or a writing that the apostle proved of. Number two, the writing was approved by an apostle to be shared or read in the churches and has a writing that contained doctrine and teaching consistent with number one and two and bear evidence of high moral and spiritual values that will reflect that it really came from the Holy Spirit. If it met these three things, they were indeed uh, accepted by see, the early church as from God before any fourth or fifth century council. It's actually God who determined, okay, that's 30 minutes here. It was God who determines he dubs the Bible. And it just became a matter of him inspiring his followers to recognize what he had inspired. Okay. The rabbinic council of Janet did not canonize the Tanakh, nor did the council of Carthage canonize the New Testament, but they were already accepted by the people at the time. Why did we have the Council of Jamnia? Because some people were trying to push the Greek Old Testament, the Apocrypha. And the rabbi had to put the feet down and said, no, those are not part of the Hebrew. They never were. And why did they have the Council of Carthage and the Council of Rome? 
Well, it was not to decide what should we add to the Bible. It was because Martian and others were trying to uh, add things or say things that were not true. And there were people who wrote pseudepigrapha or fake writings, writings that came from the, for example, the fourth century, claimed to be written by Peter in the first century. Well, Peter could not have written it in the first century and, uh, and it appeared in the fourth century. And that confused people as to what was in the real Bible. So the council says, look, let's get it straight. These are not part of the Bible. Here's a part of the Bible. The significance of Rahab and the Red Court for us today is that Rahab later became, yes, a prostitute became the ancestor of Jesus to Christ. It shows that no matter how far down you think you may have fallen, you can still have a part in God's plan. The red cord symbolized the blood of Jesus that can save us, just as the red cord saved the Israelite spies and saved Rahab and her family. So what Rahab's scarlet cord signifies for every Christian is we must have faith in that tigva, that blood symbolized of Jesus. Like Rahab, all Christians have a scarlet cord in the windows of our soul. Will you climb that cord? Will you trust it? Will you get in line with Jesus? And that is the problem facing us today. Some will say, I'm too scared to climb that rope. It might break and I might fall. Well, that's a choice each of you have, will have to make. My see, uh, closing word is accept that faith, accept the tigva of God and trust in him.